listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Hey, Chris, my man, how you feel? Hey, Tony. Good, man. Oh, snap. Hold up one second. I just realized this guy left his ID here. Satoshi Nakamoto. Hey, uh, you know who this guy is? Nah, nobody does. Well, shit, that sucks to lose your ID. Hope he comes back for it. And uh, he was actually, he was sipping on a drink over there. I think uh, you might want to invest in at some point. And not to mention, you can only pay for it in cryptocurrency. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, no problem. Hold on one second. Let me get my shit, I forgot my digital wallet at home. Uh, you take Bitcoin IOU? No, but don't worry about it. I got you on this one. Tonight we call this drink the Kryptonite. And all you need, it's really easy. It's three quarter ounce spiced rum, three quarter ounce Midori, three quarter ounce Malibu coconut rum, three quarter ounce pineapple juice, just a splash of Bacardi. Pour all the ingredients into a shaker over ice and shake. Strain into a chill glass, garnish it with a lime wheel. Yo, Pete, it's been a minute, man. How you been? Yo, Chris, what's up, man? I'm good. Just been busy. Oh, is that the new kryptonite cocktail? I had one of those last night, man. It's off the chain. I mean, it's on the chain? (laughs) Oh, shoot, Chris. Is that who I think it is over there? Yeah, man, I think it is. Oh, yeah, that guy? He stopped in not too long ago, ordered a ginger ale with extra ginger. Just chilling at the end of the bar ever since. Yeah, well, this is the first time I've ever seen him here at Barcode. Pete, I say you and I go over there, see if he's down for conversation. Yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. All right, sounds good, fellas. I'll see you all next round. I'm here with Gummo a retired black hat hacker and black hat reverse engineer that's utilized a special set of skills for many, many years. His abilities have allowed him to create four supercomputers that were able to mine more than 5.1 billion US dollars worth of Bitcoin. He has also created high capacity, ultra secure systems, networks for trading and hedge funds that are currently used today within high frequency algorithmic trading platforms. He is the founder and host of the popular podcast Hackers which is the number one hacking podcast with over 1.6 million subscribers. He has a hell of a story to tell, and it's beyond an honor and a privilege to have him join us today to share it along with his insights. Gummo, welcome, sir. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for having me. And hi, Pete. It's good to see you both again after uh, our, our two tries. So th- this is our third try, and it's, it's, it's happy to be here. Thank you for having me on the Barcode Podcast. Chris, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Yes. Pete Clay, my uh, my amazing co-host as well. Pete, thanks for joining us once again. So Gummo, first off, I know you don't do interviews. So again, I just want to thank you for dedicating your time to speaking with us today. Sure, Chris. Thank you for having me. So um, let's get started. I want to talk about the the origin of your story. and. If you can take me back, talk to me about 
Uh, talk to me about your upbringing and how you initially got introduced to computers. If you could describe that experience for me. Sure. Uh, so I, I was introduced to computers um, at a at a local college uh, here in Jacksonville, uh, where when I was when I was eleven years old, I was going to the tennis courts to play tennis and to ride my bike and whatnot. And so on the hot summer days at um, the the campus, you could walk through a breezeway, which was very uh, it was it was shady and was cool. And so uh, just one summer day in 1982, um, I was walking through the breezeway and there was a computer lab. There were computers with reel to reel tapes and magnetic tapes. And there was a lab and then there was a there was actually a professor in there wearing a white coat like, you know, a, a genuine computer priest. And so. I was just riding my bike through there and I was just walking. It was real hot and I was just dying of thirst. And he said, Hey, you know, do you need some water? And, and I'm like, yeah. And so I put my bike down, went into the computer lab and, and he had, you know, water found in there. And I, and, and I'm like, Hey, what are these, you know, these computers? And he's like, yeah, this is what they do. Right. And, and so at the time they were running, uh, flight simulation software for Northrop Grumman uh, for the local for the military here in, in in North Florida, and so I got I got privy to see that to actually sit in the the cockpit mock up and actually have an opportunity to experience this type of technology in 1982, which was you know mind blowing for for a you know a nine year old kid you know and so or 11 year old kid and so it was just crazy and so yeah that's about the time uh about 1982 and I, you know i got to see all of this cool stuff they were there's this thing called the arpanet and and it's oh wow it talks to other universities and and by the way this is how it works and and so every day I would go by, you know, I had just, my mother had just given me up for adoption. And so I was living with my adoptive parents. And so, you know, being confused, you're good. And that's how I discovered the college across the street from my adoptive parents' house. And he, I just, I was fascinated every day I would go play my adopted mom and dad thought that I was going to play and, you know, tennis at the tennis course, which was true. But I also would go to the computer lab and hang out with the computer professors and, and get time on the computers. And I discovered the ARPANET and what, um, you know, transmission control protocol was. I think I was like 12 years old, you know, in the eighties, in the early eighties. And so I felt exceptionally privileged to be part of that. And, and so I started meeting people, you know, like really interesting people from the military, um, from the military, from Northrop Grumman. Um, and they and some of the people who I, I ran into are gone now. But there was one character in specific. He had a a uh, citizens band radio. and. I was really fascinated by Citizens Band Radio, and now here I am playing with computers. And so I, I see 
at this early age that there's there, there's a correlation to these technologies. And so it was it was fascinating. Every day was fascinating. But this one gentleman who went by the CB handle Bugs Bunny, oddly enough, he he had uh, computers at his home and he invited me over to his house and he lived right across the street from the college and uh, it opened my doors completely with computers. He had a, a ground plane antenna on his roof and he was a ham radio operator. And so he taught me ham, you know, radio RF. I'm learning RF at the age of 11 and 12 and DXing and, and how to tune a ground plane antenna or a, or, or dynamic stick antenna. And so these are the things, these are the, these are the things that spun me off into, a, a, you know, a life of working, you know, with computers on and off uh, throughout my life. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. So, so it really aligned for you. I mean, it, it really aligned perfectly for you where you were at the right place at the right time. You got hooked day one, it sounds like. And then you associated yourself with people that had the knowledge that could pass down to you. Because at that time, I can't imagine there were too many books written or too many no. classes that you could take. You're really forced to either know someone in the field or teach yourself. Yeah, that's correct. And to to learn by not asking questions, but by through trial and error, through literally figuring things out. and. And one of the things that I discovered was the fact that I didn't, you know, when when Daryl was speaking to me and saying, hey, you know, don't you see this? You know, when we were when he was demonstrating computer code and I, I said, no, I don't I don't see what you're talking about. What does this mean? And I see it like this. And. And, I, and, and, you know, and my interpretation of computer code is vastly different from others as I don't see com I don't see things on a computer screen as ones and zeros and squiggly lines, which I do. But my interpretation is I see them as colors, strings of colors. And that's and so explaining that to him, he thought I was just kidding around. So I had to learn how to program the way traditional, like you do, like Pete does, you know, traditionally understanding bits and binary. But as soon as I figured things out, I scrapped that method of thought. That's a gift. That's a gift, man. And uh, to be honest with you, that's the, that's the first time I've heard of that. Yeah, it's, it's a condition called synthesisia. It's a new perspective, right? It's a perspective that allowed you to possibly have an edge over everyone else in that position. It did. It, it gave me a, 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 a quite a, a vast advantage over the pilots in their training or some of the people working for NRO that were in their training. And these are highly skilled scientists. And engineers that like i said work for nro you know the navy the, you know every every aspect everything you can think was there right and i'm learning right alongside of them as a kid you know as a as a little chubby kid with a coke in his hand and i'm really 
I really didn't think of the seriousness of it until I became older. But I was like, you know, I'm the fat kid hanging out watching this stuff and learning all the, all the while, learning because my home life was so terrible that I didn't want to go home. And so I hung out and learned these things. And I did that for about two years, just solidly hung out there. I learned things back then that were quite shocking to me as a child, right? I'm 13, 12, 13 years old learning about technology, you know, like what governments use and how it's used and and what what the future what 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 the future is going to be what the masses are using and i had i had access to that information and not realizing its value or potential because my motives were never monetarily driven they were just out of curiosity so that opportunity so so great and and you can't find that today that does not exist you can't be a 12 year old going to a college campus and no Hey, let me get access to your computer system. <laughs> let me sit down. No, and and you know the fact that my grandfather was you know highly respect. He spent like forty years in the Navy, and 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 so I had access to naval intelligence, and then I had access through naval intelligence. I had access to NRO, and through NRO, it just goes on and on. And so again, I'm a kid, you know, playing around with these these computers and technologies, and and foundations that are still used today um quite surprisingly yeah so yes uh uh I, and i feel like you know as you know my mother was an alcoholic she gave me up for adoption at this time and so this was my this is what i found for, as a kid you know instead of sitting around crying you know i, I was hanging out <laughs> with computer it was therapeutic for you yeah, it was it was very therapeutic for me. Yeah. Did you ever have any intention of going down that route of what you were seeing, going down the government route, um, going down sort of the path that you were first introduced to? Or when did it start turning into you wanting to do more hacking or do more of what you ultimately wanted to pursue as an individual? You know, it's uh, a great question. Um, you know, the, the fun didn't last long, right? You know, I went, as I as mentioned, my mother was not a, a good, you know, there were, there were hard difficulties as a kid. Mm -hmm. And so I went to live, I went, my brother got me kicked out of school in the seventh grade. And so, and went back to juvie, right? I'm in juvie because my brother took a gun to school. And so I'm in juvie because of something my brother did. And now here I am, I'm 13 years old. You know, I've been yanked out of that environment. And now I'm in juvie. What happens? My, my, so my birth mother comes to get me out of juvenile and hall and takes me home and takes my brother home and she's not well right she's she's very sick and and so then she passes away right and then there i am i'm i'm, I'm 12 years old mm. 
Well, I'm 12, man. You know, I'm 12, 13 years old. It's December of 1985. I don't know what the hell to do. You know, I, my mom just died and my dad, he's in prison. Geez, that's a pivotal moment for any kid at that age. But then, you know, just to add on what you're going through at that point in time, I can't imagine. Yeah. And so what do, what do you do? Like, you, you know, like I, I figured through the, 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 the hard pain that I, I went through was, um, I, I needed somewhere to go with that. And so I went, I, I found, uh, my solace with computers and, um, the, the people who taught me c- computers were, um, you know, they were, they were really amazing people. They, they helped me out. They, uh, you know, there was no one. My mom's gone mm-hmm. and the, you know, and so what did I do? I, I, I had some dial up numbers. And I, I had, I had an old computer, um, that I got back from my adoptive parents and, uh, I connected it to the phone line and, uh, and I learned how to become a hacker. I, I, I learned right away. I learned what I needed to do to survive in my first experience. Of being on your own at 13 is to survive and you have to do what you have to do to survive. And, um, so I learned how to card, right? I, I learned about credit cards. My mother left, uh, she left her wallet behind. And so in her wallet, there was cash, but my brothers took it and left the credit cards. And I've, I noticed when my mom would use them that they would swipe them or when she would go to an ATM, she would. And so I, it was quite simple. I took, uh, I was going to school and they were using these things called language masters and you would put a card in and say the cow jumped over a fence or the house is brown. And so I figured out, well, I wonder if this can read, you know, if this can read a credit card. And and sure enough, it did. It could. And so then I began understanding. And the language master would give it out as tones like. And then I learned, you know, I wanted to know how that worked. And so I taught myself how to play piano to understand the tones that it was generating. And so as I was generating those tones, I understood that each tone meant a specific piece of information on the card. And so I was able to mimic that and manipulate the tones, long story short. And I was able to card at 13 years old. I was able to actually go to a bank and do a cash transaction and obtain cash for myself. And I was terrified. I was I was co- quite terrified. Yeah, I didn't know if the cops would come or, you know, if this was it, if, if they're going to ship me out to the boys ranch in Mariana. I didn't know. And it was just terrifying. But the cops never came. I went to go live back with my adopted parents who had previously 
you know, I was living with him before I got kicked out of school and sent to juvenile hall. And then my mom died. So I went back to live with them. And again, it was just like, you know, who they are just, you know, she, she, my adopted mom, she was in her late sixties and my adopted father was just some weird guy from the seventies. And so I never was involved with them. And, and so I would go to school and get it, get suspended on purpose because I didn't need to go to school. I, I had my own gig, right? I, I knew what I needed to do. And so I rented an apartment. <laughs> um, I, I got an apartment and I had an apartment and I had my computer set up there. And then I set up turntables and, you know, I wanted to be a DJ scratching and all of that back then. And so I, I had an apartment I, that I was paying for while, um, you know, still quote living with my adopted parents. And so, uh, yeah, that's that that got off the ground at fourteen, and so that's how I survived. Um, I not yeah, I would change barcodes. I would print my own barcodes and put the stickers on things that I wanted. If it was a uh, a laptop or a computer from Radio Shack, I would print out my own barcodes or bribe the salesman at a Radio Shack with a few hundred dollars that I took out of an ATM for some equipment, and so. It was just, it was literally, and, and it was not like I felt good about that either because literally I wanted to be the kid riding his bike, playing with the other normal kids, but I was not that fortunate. So I had to do these things and technology for me was the avenue, was the route to do that. And then the hackers that helped me were not just criminals. They taught me the technology for me to use as a criminal for to survive. So there's a big difference in what I mentioned on how I was mentored by the people who did that back in those days. Right. Because they were quite honestly the most wonderful, caring people you could ever imagine. I, I met many of them and their families as they were very warm people with families and 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 they were grandfathers and grandmothers eventually so wow man yeah it it was quite a a journey back then so what you describe like um like that hacker mentality like i love that because that's something that i think that brings a lot of us together like you described how you were able to identify tones from a card reader using piano you're able to like successfully print up barcodes and just, I think reverse engineering those things and figuring out how it works. It's such like a light bulb moment. And we, we love to pursue that. It feels so good regardless of the ethics behind it. Right. So it's not, we're not talking like, like ethical or unethical hacking here. This is just figuring out how things work and seeing if we can change the system. Yeah. You know, and the, the the fact that I had to do criminal things to with technology to survive that that did not bolster who I was. I I mean, on the contrary, I felt like a, a horrible. I felt horrible, and I can only now, after so many decades, feel comfortable speaking about these things. As it was, it was just so dramatically wrong 
the way society views it. But again, Pete, you, you spoke of the hacker mentality. That's, that's literally the mentality is the, a, a, a limit of survival and where are your limits and how, what do you need to survive? And that's, that's how I think. And that's who I am. And even every day now, when I'm even out surfing, I, I'm, counting the rocks on the shore or identifying how many people are around me for pattern analysis. And so it's, it becomes who you are and that all, and, and from my realization, it came from just being, being, having a means to survive. And so that was my take on things back then. I don't think that was wrong at all. I think you're being really hard on yourself. <laughs> I don't, I don't see anything wrong with, with uh, the, the things that you did from a survival perspective. Yes, yeah, survival perspective. And I'm sure that you realized at that point in time that you were gifted in a sense, right? So did you ultimately share the fact that you had those abilities, you know, with your, with your inner circle of friends? Or, you know, did you keep that primarily to yourself? Yeah, it, I kept everything to myself. My, the one thing that, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't know uh, this about me and I'll share it for the first time with the world. But when I was a child, my goal was to be a priest and to, uh, I've wanted to be a man of the cloth. And I, my religion, my religion was lost and my faith was lost in the passing of my mother. But I never lost that focus and perspective. And, you, you know, it's, it, there's, there, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of. Mm, that was a shift for you at that, at that point in time. It, it, it was. And the, the, the shift was that not only that, but I, I soon met my soon to be wife. I was 17. And I met her at 17 years old. And so things changed very drastically at that point uh, for me. I, I, I stopped using computers for uh, about three years as I fell in love and I, and I was modeling for model houses. Yeah, I was modeling, doing underwear ads, uh, in, on the modeling circuit in Europe, uh, at, for a few years after I met my soon to be wife. And so then she made me get a job at the supermarket. And so that took a break from computers for about five years as I wanted to do i wanted to be like anybody else i wanted to go work a job yeah i wanted to i wanted to fall in love i wanted to go work a job i wanted to see what it felt like and it didn't take long right i went to work in a supermarket and it, i started figuring out the registers and the computers that ran them and then i started taking money from these the you know and so I'm like, shit. And, and then they, they found out that I was good with computers and then that money's missing, but they could never <laughs> connect the dots. And so then it didn't take you long to um, 
rediscover your passion? The passion was always there. It was the criminal intent that overtook the passion, Chris. And so, you know, I came really close uh, to getting in trouble. Uh, and so you're a legal adult at this point, too. Yeah, I'm 19, right? I'm 19 years old and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I figured out real simple that the registers that they were using at the, uh, at, a, at the supermarket was using code b- built in the seventies. And it was super easy to go into the, the server room and override some things and then set five registers on training mode while groceries were being scanned and transactions were being accounted for and then take them out of take all of those registers out of training mode and then balance their registers out and then that extra balance in cash came to me right so it was and so these things were quite trivial and that's you know, that's what my wife at the time found out. You know, she's she's like, wait a minute, you know, you're you're supposed to be making five fifty an hour, and we we're you're buying ten thousand dollars Sony Vega TVs. You know, where what what do you put in some overtime? Yeah, and so it was it was it was it. the the com. The, the understanding of going, living a righteous life was certainly met through my wife's um, persistence on me not fucking up. And so uh, I, I didn't, I, I, I did not want to anger her. And, you know, I had a young child at the time. My, my daughter was two or three years old. And, and so it was all about taking care of my, family, my my daughter and my, my wife and, and, and feeling the, the feeling, experience the feeling of going to work and coming home, and watching t- television and doing it all over again and doing it over and over again while I took a break and a new look at life from that perspective. And so it was, it was, uh, it, it sucked. <laughs> it sucked. I hated doing it. You had that opportunity though. And it's what you envisioned yourself doing, right? So you acted on it. Yeah, I did, and I, I, I don't feel like I have any complaints from from my daughter. She she's continued the guidance, in as far as you know, don't you know, keeping you in line. Yeah, mostly. So, <laughs> even though you took that break from technology, you still maintain that mentality, which was which is really interesting. Like. Figuring out how the registers worked, figuring out how the people worked and still seeing like what you could do. And it's not like good or bad. It's just what could you get away with? What could you cause to happen? Uh, And kids are expensive. So I think that still gets back to survivability. (laughs) A two year old daughters. I mean, they're they're not cheap. Yeah, I'm, I, I've got my kid. She's in, you know, she's going to private school, and I'm, yeah. I'm the assistant manager at a grocery store. I mean, <laughs> five fifty an hour ain't much. <laughs> yeah, right. And things should, you know, so yeah, so and things were literally not adding up. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Is is there a use to that? You think, Gummo? Like, so for example, like you you describe some of the things that you did. Again, I being hard on yourself, but like, you know, from in your teens, all the way up to 19 and, and those, those early, those very young years, um, describing them as like 
bad things as what society views them. But now if, if you are established in your, in your career and you don't need to do these things anymore, but you're still doing them, you know, objectively it's the same. I think the intent's way worse. Uh, at the time, I don't see a lot of harm. Do you, do you see, is, does, does age have a, have a role to play here? Yeah, absolutely. It does. You know, when you're young, you want everything you want to drive. Uh, you want to drive the, the fast car. You want the fast car, the pretty girl. You want everything that the, the fancy singers on television and the radio are singing about. And so those, these things drive most young men and women to that point. Mm, and hackers are no different. You know, they, it, it's quite obvious throughout the years as watching the excesses of people like Gonzalez and et cetera, or the rebel guys getting bounced with all of that cash. And these are the things that they're driven by. They want to drive the hurricanes and again, have the pretty girl and in mm-hmm. the big mansion, but you know, it, it doesn't last forever and it eventually comes crashing down. And so, very few of the young young people that are driven by that motivation actually think in in advance of how to perhaps invest their ill-gotten proceeds. But yes, mostly the young mindset is driven by uh, entirely financial consequences, whether uh, intended or unintended. If you don't mind, I'd love to get into some of your knowledge around cryptocurrency. I know that's one of your many areas of focus. And um, one of the early, early, um, I guess, handlers of Bitcoin and getting to understand Bitcoin, when we're all starting to just understand the meaning of crypto, yeah. um, talk to me a little bit about that and how you got introduced to, to Bitcoin and crypto. Sure. Um, so it was... Uh, uh, wow. Uh, Around 2009, around 2008, I arrived in Chicago to work on some projects. Um, I was living in Indiana. And so I arrived in, in about 2008. I was working on a, a fiber line for the CME back then. And I was working for a media company as well uh, in Chicago. And so... Uh, I moved, we moved the entire operations of this media company. It was a business, it was a business to business company. They were based out of the UK and then they needed all kinds of connectivity from Chicago to UK to, um, Oceana to uh, all over the globe. And so they needed someone who could facilitate these communications and necessitate them for their organization. And so. Hey, you know, here I am. And so there I, uh, I begin to um, uh, move their operations into the Aeon building, the Aeon Center. It's the, at the time, it was, it's the white super tall building in Chicago. Okay. Uh, so there's only like three or four super talls there. And so it was on the uh, 70th floor of the Aeon building. Uh, we, at the time, I was working with a you know, IT director. And we were working with a company, uh, Exo Communications in Chicago. And we brought up, um, we brought fiber all the way up 70 floors. And, and it was kind of really ridiculous because back then it was just two wire for all the commu- comms back then and co- corporate, you know, infrastructures, ISDN, all that crap. 
And so we ran fiber up 70 floors. And I'm like, hmm, what's under the building? And so then that's when I got a tour. I, I had, again, I just felt lucky, right, to having access to the building's engineer who had access to the MCI engineers who had access to the internet routers about three stories under the building. Oh, really? The internet is under here. The, you mean, and come to find out, yes, there's literally uh, an internet backbone router underneath the building. And oh, wow, I'm sitting on top of it with a, a gigabit fiber line plugged in. And so I began thinking, like, what can I use this for? Like, like literally, what, what can I purpose this for? I mean, clearly, you know, I've set up. So for the company upstairs, right, while I'm scheming in my mind for the thing that I want to use this unbelievable connection for in 2008, 2009, and they upstairs, I've, I've completed it for the company. I've completed their KA band, KU band connections so they could have secure encrypted satellite communication for their company and all the meanwhile the i've got this gigabit connection and i really want to find a, a good purpose for it and so if i have one why not have two and so i had another one run up to the 70th floor so at this point i have two gigabit internet there are two gigabit internet pipes going up to the 70th floor of the aeon building in chicago when it's 2008 so I started looking around at things and one of the things that have one of the things that grabbed my attention early on was I was part of a mailing list uh from uh the CCC yep uh Chaos Computer Club and on the mailing list was uh this interesting article about Bitcoin and um, I'm bored. I'm smoking weed. I'm in the office. You know, I'm having fun and I'm reading this paper about Bitcoin and I'm looking at the equations and I'm understanding the equation quite significantly. You could, you could understand it really at first glance. I, I, I truly understood the, the mathematics at first glance. I, at the first glance, I, Completely. It only took me 45 seconds to figure out the math and, and the code. Jeez. And I was instantly, it was a eureka moment for me. And, I, and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> holy shit. And I began mining about six days later after I read the paper in 2010. So about 2010, I began mining right there in the Aeon building with a gigabit connection and uh, a couple Mac, uh, what were they? The Mac pros with the holes in them, the Mac, I whatever mm -hmm. the iMacs. Yeah. And so, you know, I had, I started with one and, and so I had, you, you know, like 5,000 Bitcoins and I'm like, okay, cool. You know, cool. This is really cool. And so then the memory would exhaust on the computer. And so I'm like, well, sh shit, as I just begin to, because more nodes were joining the network. And so I'm like, well, shit, this is becoming more challenging because the, you know, it would take the computer two days now to solve the problem that it could solve in a day. And so I'm like, well, this sucks. And so I, I bought another, I didn't buy, but I 
obtained through the company another one and the same thing i you know got another 5000 bitcoin and so i have two computers and so i realized early the potential was the more you computing power you put into this of course the more you are able to extrapolate out and so did you have any idea then or did you have did you envision it to to go in the direction it did. No, I thought it was just going to be, I thought it was just going to be like, you know, monopoly money, nerd money. Right. And I felt like, well, you know, if uh, there's going to be nerd money, I should have quite a bit of it. So I got, you know, hundreds of thousands of them and I was able to keep them. And, um, it, I started uh, realizing the importance of uh, mining them as efficiently and as quickly as possible. And so I was mining on those four rigs and then the company went out of business. I'm like, well, shit, you know, all right. So there goes my, my, uh, my CPU power and the backbone. No, I, on the contrary, by that time I was my on a person personally i was in a bad place you know i'm i'm out of shape i'm 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 almost 100 pounds overweight it's things you know and there's things breaking down on my body and so i I took a break for a year the uh, when the company closed down i was very thankful for that and i was like okay this is great i get a chance to heal and rest and get back into shape and then, you know, during that cycle, my, my brother passed away. And so, you know, the solace that I was finding in exercising only was increased, right? Where I didn't really want to be online that often. And so I went, uh, and so I, I, I went on to mine those Bitcoins. Uh, up until I went on to my Bitcoin in one capacity or another, whether or not it was a supercomputer that I built or on a laptop. I mined them from 2010 to the October of 2014. And so I was satisfied with the amount that I had as I realized the efforts by the time that I had built the supercomputers at the CME they were trading for $200 a coin. And so it was, to me, that was the race to get it as fast as possible. And so there were thefts back then, the the Mount Gox thefts, and there continue to be thefts today surrounding the cryptocurrencies in one fashion or another. And so I wanted to obtain mine as quickly as possible. And... I was able to do that. And about that time, we saw the emergence of um, Ross Ulbricht and the Silk Road and, and Bitcoin really becoming a thing. And so that's when, you know, I started to consider, you know, it's, it's time for me to move on to other other things. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I continued. I shut down my mining operations about then. Did you ever feel targeted mining so many coins? Like yeah. if you were just focused on mining so much, it's just you become a high value target and you got a lot of assets to protect. 
No, I was, I was, no one knew what I was doing. Uh, you know, I'm, I've got a, a son that I'm putting through high school. I'm working on my personal goals and I, you know, you keep your mouth closed, especially in a place like Chicago. A few of my friends in Chicago knew what I was doing. Uh, yeah, but it, and when I say a few, I mean, two, two people knew what I was up to. Wow. You got to keep that close to the chest. You do. Even at $200 a coin, I, I knew the intrinsic value to how many, you know, versus how many I had. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have at that, and I had the opportunity to meet a lot of traders and a lot of people who are well connected in the financial systems uh, of the world. And so the advice that I was able to get from them certainly made sure that I was able to put my assets in a very safe and comfortable place, even to this day. Absolutely. So real quick, I'd like to talk to you about where you think crypto and blockchain are headed now. So NFTs, I want to talk to you about NFTs because uh, that's on everyone's radar now. And um, I'd love to get your thoughts and opinion on that. And, you know, just where crypto as a whole is going. That's a good question. I, I, and well, you know, a lot of people who really don't fully understand blockchain and, and its simplicity really are, I, I don't want to say people that don't understand it, don't champion it, champion it. And because that would not be fair to others that truly don't. However, I feel that it, it is a very solid foundation for, for any type of computing system to be based off of. As demonstrated, its simplicity and openness show the world how safe and secure it is. And so I see the world uh, of digital cryptocurrencies expanding drastically as governments and banks, banking, traditional banking systems um, try to discourage its use among the, the users and masses while trying to create their own to replace their own currencies and abroad. And so the technology that powers the blockchain themselves, which has been demonstrated by the Ethereum founders and et cetera, have demonstrated their proficiency to be very safe and strengthened environments for the future of our of the internet and the web it's specifically the web and its demonstrations of bringing information to everyone as we are all aware there are deep fakes out there and information and videos even that are created to misguide people in the world well, the technology and foundation that would be based off of a blockchain driven application or, or even the technology itself or the idea could, could and will eliminate those threats and issues that we currently face in society from users who don't understand those threats. The emergence of the cryptocurrencies within spaces such as NFTs are interesting as for matter of disclosure, I have a few on OpenSea. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it's the fact that the NFTs exist are interesting as they are literally just 
tech contextual contracts between two people for a specific amount of that given cryptocurrency, which is interesting because uh, it's come uh, up and coming alongside a technology that we now need to engage in or that Silicon Valley wants us all to engage in, which is immersed reality products. The more closer we become engaged with these interfaces, glasses, goggles, implants, these ridiculous implants, they will actually be a thing in the future where they people will use them and that this will how this will be the method that people interface with the internet and to fund these foundations you'll need a technology like a blockchain because unfortunately your your mysql database will just be unwilling to provide that sort of flexibility and future proofing for those foundations yeah well well put it's something i need to to educate myself on more um, I would love to build my own NFT. I actually looked at doing it. Um, I haven't had the time really to invest in doing it, but I would love to do it just to see the process and understand the process. If I don't make one cent from it, I just want to understand <laughs> how it's done so I can help explain it to other people. You, yeah, it's, it's actually, you know, it, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and be some proponent going, Oh man, it's so easy. It's so rad. It's so cool. No, it's, you know, it is what you make of it, right? So mm, I was a smart ass and put one of my NFTs up for like $5 million. I put it on auction. I paid the gas fees and everything. Just like, yeah, no, yeah, I'm just going to be a, a smart. And so I'm like, okay, $5 million. And then the price of Ethereum started to drop and then continued to drop. And then so I've watched it drop. It's like, and so it got, you know, at one point it went all the way down to like a million bucks. And I'm like, what the, f-? <laughs> you know, but <laughs> I found it, I found it humorous, but yeah. So someone was going to get a deal at a million. Yeah. Well, you know, I did it as a lark. If someone buys it, I'm just going to donate the money to homeless people. But the, the fact is that the, the, it shows the justification and the, 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 the dip in value and the volatility of cryptocurrencies. And so governments want to erase that. You know, the U.S. government wants to put that clearly under its wing as, as well as other countries. And they've demonstrated that by simply outlawing uh, any type of cryptocurrency or mining, um, respectively. Are there any, uh, implementations of nft or crypto that uh either really work or very successful in that technology or or there any ones that you can think of that it doesn't belong um you talked about how open it is but uh it seems like nfts are very polarizing depending on who you ask right so great for supporting artists and podcast hosts like yourself but or or do we need nfts in, in gaming or something like that yeah, I mean, so that's what I've been doing lately for the past several months is I've been playing a game called Roblox. Mm-hmm. I've been, it's even on my Twitter feed and it's, it's fun as hell for one. And you would never believe what your kids are up to. Second, the things that are available only in this environment are, are based off of technology similar to NFTs, right? So, 
in the future, in the future, right when Chris gets his NFTs put up, he could he, when he sells his NFT. That only means that now his NFT it, that's that's just something that's available in the digital universe, and so you could take a picture of Chris from his early youth and trade that for value somewhere uh, along the line in the future with an NFT in the so-called metaverse. I, I swear to God, I hate saying the word meta, <laughs> but in the metaverse, that's how it will work. NFTs, digital cryptocurrencies, digital dollars, digital rupees, digital yuan, digital pounds, they will all be there in our future, in your future, in our children's future, in our grandchildren's future. And that will be the reality. So the things that you're seeing now in the the backlash that you see from people who don't fully understand or embrace bit, uh, Bitcoin, but blockchain technology, mm-hmm. in, you know, which are the foundations of NFT, these are the people that have yet to fully realize its potential. And um, they are. What's interesting is that some of the people that can, have protested blockchain power technology actually are uh, avid investors in it, or they actually u- are using it every day in their lives in, in technology that they don't even know that they're using it in. So the proliferation of blockchains will continue to increase. The values of cryptocurrencies will continue to continue to increase. And the usage of digital art, such as NFTs, are just the beginning of what we are are opening up for the digital universe of our lives to come. Mm-hmm. It's scary, man, but it's fun. You know, it's it's like uh, it's like you're watching history in the making. We we always are. We as society are always part of history each day that we rise to be part of this great thing that we call humanity. But the thing that we uh, don't always typically do is embrace the next thing that comes along. And so if you see it as fun rather than a challenge, I think that you will do just fine. But if you see technology as a challenge or you find that you've grown attached to one typically specific piece of technology and then you see it replaced or outdated, you that you are literally reacting on your own emotional uh, bond between that piece of technology. And so those mm-hmm. are the points to consider when you update your Apple software. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. I'm hearing last call here. Gummo, do you have time for one more? Sure. If you opened a cybersecurity theme bar, what would the name be and what would your signature drink be called? Uh, I would just name it Hackers Hangout. And the my signature drink would be, I don't know, we'll call it the gum O. And it would just be some Sprite with a little splash of cherry grenadine and a mm, cherry on top. And so that would be my get down and how my bar. And it would be painted all black with black furniture, black floor, <laughs> black lights. You couldn't. In fact, you, no reason to even be going because there won't be any alcohol. So. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. That's great, man. 
real quick before you go, um, would you mind uh, just sharing where our listeners can find you online, um, what your social media footprint is and where they can you know, listen to you on that awesome podcast? Yeah, so you can find me. Um, you you can find me online at uh, twitter.com forward slash gummo g u m m o x x x. You can find me on my website at hackers.xxx, and also I launched a new website. It's part of Hackers, and it's called neverrain.org. Uh, and um, you can search for Hackers uh, on any podcasting platform, and if you see the black Hackers logo, that's me. Uh, and I'm uh, always doing something weird and wacky on the podcast, but uh, yeah, everyone listening to this has to listen to that. I would highly, <laughs> highly advise that you do that. Um, awesome, awesome show, and uh, and thank and, you, yeah, definitely. It's it's made for love. <laughs> yes, and Pete, thanks again, man, for joining me. It was great seeing you as always. My pleasure. And uh, yeah, you guys both take care, Gummo. Hopefully, um, you know, one day we'll catch up, have a drink for real. And um, I'll be at Hope and DEF CON this year, Chris. So be sure to come and see me. I will be attending. Wait, in, in U.S.? Yeah, in the United States. So I'll be at, I will hit you up. Yeah, I'll be at Hope in New York City in, uh, in July. And I'll be at DEF CON in Vegas in August. So, yeah, for sure. Let's, uh, let's meet up and uh, we can uh, have, a, have a Sprite. <laughs> let's do it, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Pete. Barcode patrons, if you like this episode and would like to support the podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and visit our Patreon site, patreon.com slash barcode podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, check out the barcode podcast.com slash sponsor. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.